This is Mark Brown um, reporting for Mental Health from the end of my Mood Coach Eco Web project, and I'm here with. Hi, I'm Professor Ed Watkins, and I was the coordinator and lead PI of the project from the University of Exeter. So this has been five years through fire and famine and all manner of different um, challenges and problems and opportunities. Um, Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about what the project's been over the last five years? And then I've got a question for you. Okay, so the project, which is EcoWeb, has been trying to look at how we can develop um, mental health apps um, on mobile phones for young people to help promote well-being and prevent uh, poor mental health. And we know that there's a lot of apps out there in the, in the wider world, but many of them are not evidence-based. A lot of them don't include what we know to be scientific or clinically credible ele- elements. So we were keen to, to, to try and uh, address that gap by doing a, a large-scale trial across four European countries, the UK, Germany, Spain, and Belgium, and we were comparing three different apps to see what, what, which would be more helpful. So we have a, a self-monitoring app, where, which is our sort of basic control, where uh, young people were just monitoring their mood on a daily basis. And then we had, on top of that, a version that had generic CBT exercises about thought-challenging, behavioural activation, problem-solving, in a format that involved things like tools and challenges and psychoeducation and videos. And then we had a third version, which had the self-monitoring And then in addition, it had what we call a personalised emotional competence self-help app. So this is based on the idea that there's theoretical models of how people's emotions work that involve different skills of managing emotion, recognising emotion, uh, making appropriate uh, judgments and appraisals of situations. So the idea is if we could train people in some of those skills, that might help promote well-being. And then the the little thing that was extra for that app, what version of the app, is that we were personalising it. So rather than giving people a standard amount of content, we'd give them different content based on their profile at the start of the study. So really big, really complicated. It sort of went some steps beyond computerised CBT and stuff like that. Um, What was it you were kind of hoping might happen and what did happen? Because five years is a long time. Yeah, so it's worth saying that within those three apps... We, we, we basically ran two trials in a single cohort. So we, we looked at people who were functioning reasonably well in young people, so a healthier group, and we were looking to see whether we could improve well-being in that group. And then we took a higher risk group, so people who were reporting some risk factors like increased worry or worry about relationships or um, more negative appraisals, and we were looking to see whether we could help prevent difficulties like depression yeah. in that group. So, so we were hoping to see that... The active apps, so the personalised emotional competence app and the CBT app would do better than the control. And then more specifically, if the personalisation worked, then we hypothesised that the personalised DC app should also do better than the CBT app. So that was the goal. It took quite a long time to get those apps built because of the complexity of building them. And of course, because we were personalising, we needed multiple variants of those apps. And we needed multiple variants of those apps in four different languages. So it was a very complex build in terms of putting together the content. So that was one of our difficulties, and that put us a bit behind schedule to start with, and we had to try and catch that up. And then, of course, we had COVID happen. Um, that, that was quite a big thing. That was quite a big thing. And, and then we, we did get going, and we got, we, we got started, and then we had a fire in one of the servers uh, in Strasbourg by the company that was hosting the app platform. So it wasn't the app company's 
server, it was the one that they were hosted on. And this, this is this is on the news. It put out hundreds of uh, thousands of different products. Anyway, but that happened just after we'd started recruiting people. So we had a bunch of people who started using the app, and then it basically turned off for a month. So our solution was to, on the advice of our trial steering committee, was to recruit even more people. So we ended up recruiting, at the end of this study, um, just over 3,800 young people across the whole cohort split uh, a third into the prevent study and two thirds into the promote study. So, so the prevent study was that was the higher risk group uh, to see whether we could stop them getting depressed. And the promote study was the people were reasonably well functioning to see if giving them the app could improve their well-being. Cool. So you you recruited loads and loads of people. Um, what did you kind of conclude at the end of it all? Yeah. So I think it's important to say first of all we recruited lots of people because a lot of studies of apps have been woefully underpowered they're, they're too small to actually answer a question so we wanted to make sure we didn't have that problem so we're really pleased at the end that we got a large scale product project that could answer the questions what's then interesting of course is that we didn't quite find what we were predicting so what the i guess one key finding is that in the promote study the, the healthier group n- there was no difference between all three versions of the app so what that suggests is it's really quite hard to take young people who are doing reasonably well and push their well-being up a bit. But that's not that surprising when we look at the wider literature. Universal prevention is difficult. Even school-based interventions that are more intensive than ours, given ours is entirely self-directed, without support, um, haven't had an effect. So that, that maybe kind of fits that wider literature. What was a bit more surprising is in the prevent study, which is where we've, you know, we've got a higher risk group, so we've got more chance of, of seeing something happen. We didn't get the effect on the personalised emotional competence app doing better than control or the CBT app. But what we did find is that the standard generic CBT app that we gave to everybody who got randomised to it without adapting it did outperform the control self-monitoring in preventing the increase of depression and reducing uh, impairment and improving quality of life in that group of young people who had elevated risk, at least for the first three months that we were following them. So that's really interesting because CBT, um, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, especially in its most manualised forms, comes in for quite a lot of stick for not helping people, not being appropriate, really not being appropriate for young people because they, you know, they really want to talk about feelings and understand themselves. And it's kind of, it, it feels not a counterintuitive finding, but it's a really interesting one. Do you think that the fact the study took place over four different countries might have had a bearing on that? Or do you think it's just that CBT won out in this situation? I mean, it's hard to know about the countries yet. We're still unpacking that level of detail in the, in the data because there's a lot to make sense of. But I suspect that's not what's happening. I think what we know is that CBT has whilst it has detractors there's quite a strong evidence base for it you know there's elements in it that we know work and I think what we managed to do reasonably well in the app is translate some of those elements into a reasonably app friendly form so there were things like quick tools of relaxation or problem solving or challenging your negative thoughts that a young person could go and use when they wanted to and and because it was coherent in that way I think it was you know for those people who were already having some mild symptoms, it was enough for them to go, oh, yeah, maybe that would be helpful, and enough of them used it to get some benefits. So I think it's consistent with the fact that we know that CBT can be helpful in that context. Mm-hmm. I guess what's surprising is that 
personalising it didn't give added value. It's interesting for me because it's very much in the same area as kind of um, momentary ecological interventions. It's about doing something that supports or helps someone in that particular moment when they experience something rather than being based in a kind of broader skills and knowledge developing kind of context. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And and if we had more money, we'd have loved to have made it even more responsive and have it pop up and tell them when to use the tools. That would be the next step, I think. But I think you're right. I mean, one of the, the logics we had is that if you've got an app, I mean, effectively, this is something that people have in their pocket and they can pull out whenever they want. So let's put some things in there, like quick tools that someone can pull out and use when, yeah. when they think it might be helpful. And we still have to analyse that and see whether that's one of the things that contributed when we actually see how people were using the app. But that was the reasoning that it's, you know, it's a little toolbox in your pocket that you can use when you want it. So, so just, just as a kind of final question, you have effectively kind of oceans of data to swim through. Um, but your project's coming to an end. Um, that sounds kind of... Sounds like a shame to me that, that you, you could spend five years developing a, a large sum of data and then you just have to put it in a filing cabinet. Like, what happens next? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not uncommon that, you know, the, the, the vagaries of getting the project done and getting the data means you don't always have enough time to do the analysis within the timeline of the project. But I think, I want to be really clear, that doesn't mean this data is just going in a file drawer and it's being ignored. <laughs> There's a, you know, between the different members of the consortium and other collaborators and possibly seeking other funding... There's lots of useful questions we can answer because we've got lots of data about emotions in, young, in a large sample of young people over time. We've got, emotion, we've got lots of data about what might have worked or not worked in these different interventions. We've got lots of data about how people used or didn't use the app. And we absolutely want to interrogate that because that's where the most useful lessons will be in terms of how do we do this better next time. And I think that's an absolutely wonderful point to finish this five years on. Thanks Thank very much. You. Thank you. Thank you.